So the story goes like this, according to Matthew, a follower of Jesus. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Three decades after that child was born, this baby that we look at as in a manger in these next few days is now a teacher. They call him rabbi. He has followers that he has selected because it is an honor to follow a rabbi. And as they're walking with him, they come to the place that they say, we've watched you, we've observed what you've done, and you've got this thing about you that we don't have. That there is this presence, there is this God with you thing that is just amazing to us. And when we're with you, we feel that. When we're not with you, we don't necessarily feel that. So how do we get that God with us? Because if we're your, your students, then we are going to replicate everything you do. We need this God with us. And Jesus responds by saying, then I want you to live this pattern of living, and we call it a prayer. It is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and I'd like for you to repeat it with me. Look at the screen or on your notes. It is a new King James Version, but let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So for these last seven weeks, today being the seventh, we have been looking at the X factor. So that I can be very, very clear, so that there is no question, I want to tell you what the X factor is. The X factor, that thing that makes the difference, the thing that Jesus taught them that would make the difference in their life, the thing that will make a difference and does make a difference in our life, the X factor is prayer. So would you say it with me? The X factor is prayer. Say it. The X factor is, factor is what? Prayer. Thank you. But prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is releasing our journey into God's story, our Father. So I, I'm, I'm going to ask, Rick, can I borrow you for a moment? Rick Graziano. I didn't tell him I'm going to do this, but he loves me anyhow. Come on, Rick. So Rick is God. Everybody say, hi, God. <laughs> so God has this story. We're all in this story. And so we are journeying with God. So let's go for a walk, Rick. So as we're walking, God lets me approach him, and I could come to him and say, Father, Father, because you see, I don't have the right to call him Father. I have been separated because of the way that I've treated him, my rebellion against him, but yet he takes me because of what Jesus has done. So I get to call him Abba, meaning Daddy. Our Father, and this is the Father that's in heaven. 
As we're walking together, I say, okay, so hallowed be your name. Everything that you are, every expression that you are, every characteristic that you are, everything that your names represent, I hallow out, I make sacred this space. My life is your space. I'm going to enter it in and let it become part of your story, that there's nothing in my sacred space that is anti-you, that you would, it would offend you or you would object to it. I make sure it's clean. Hallowed be your name. And so you know the stuff that you're doing in heaven right now? I want it done here. The stuff like healing people, I want it done here now. The the resources, I want it done now. Everything that you do in heaven, I want it done in my life right now. And here are the things that are not the, the way that you do it in heaven. Could you take care of this now? As you do it in heaven, do it here now. And while we're walking together, I need food. I need, I need sustenance. I, I need the stuff that I, I need. I, I need a new car, if you could do that for me. I appreciate that. Okay. Not a Santa, but he knows what you need. Give me this day my daily bread. And I shouldn't be with you because I have offended you and I owe you. I owe you a better life. I owe you better relationships. I owe you a better thought life. I owe you, I owe you so much. Will you forgive me? And because, because you've done so much, the stuff that Scotty did to me last week, small stuff, so I can forgive him, because you're forgiving me for so much. And there's evil all around. And so, so would you deliver me from that stuff? When the enemy tries to attack, tries to lie to me, will you protect me? As, as we walk in this journey together so that, that, that I will not be overtaken by that stuff. And then I want to just say to you that I understand this is going to happen because yours is the kingdom. Everything here is yours. There's not one spiritual force that's greater than you are. You rule the whole thing. Yours is the kingdom. And the stuff that I need, the power, yours is the power. It comes to me. It's not me. I can't do this. And when you're doing all this, it's, it's yours is the glory. They're not going to look at me and say, hey, look what Jack Reisner did. They're going to say, look what God did forever and ever. Amen. Meaning, so be it. Thanks. <laughs> God's a hugger. <laughs> See, I, I have a wealthy friend. He is wealthy. From my view, he's wealthy. From probably a lot of people's view, he's wealthy. Obama's going to get him. So, so he has a, a house in Phoenix, and so in, the, in March, when I'm, we're really tired of the snow, he says, hey, come on down and, and meet me in, in March and, and, and bring some friends. We'll have a good time. So I take some friends down, and this last year, I took a couple of guys. We all met down there with my friend, and he's wealthy, but he doesn't act like he's wealthy. I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got everything he needs, but he doesn't act like it, and and so he, he picked me up at the airport, he and his wife in, in Phoenix, and he said, hey, let's go get Mexican food. Now, now we're talking. And so I'm thinking, my friend, he's wealthy, we're going to go to like a Mexican gourmet place and a, a Abuelos or someplace that just, and my mouth is watering. He pulls into Taco Bell. <laughs> and you want to know why? He had coupons. I think that's why he's wealthy. 
So, but sometimes it just, he thinks in a different realm because if he wants something, he gets it. So we're kind of halfway through the week and we realize that the Phoenix Suns are playing at their stadium or in their arena. And, and so we say, let's, let's go on, on StubHub and see if we can get some, score some cheap tickets. And so I'm looking on there, and all oh, there are the nosebleed section, and I don't want to go to that and just sit in the nosebleed section. And so my friend looks down, and he says, well, what are those? I said, oh, those are right behind the bench. He said, let's take those. I'm thinking, no. I'm thinking the dollars, and my, it's part of my budget. But he said, he's insisting. He says, no, 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 let's get those. I said, what? And he hands me his card. He says, take, I'll take care of it now. Just, just do that. I'm thinking, wait till I tell these guys how much these tickets are going to cost us. So he says, no, do it. So I have to push the button that says order, and so we order the tickets. Oh, they were awesome seats, right behind the bench. And in addition to that, we got a free buffet. So we, we, can, we can see the sweat flying off the players and, and, and hear the arguments back and forth, and, and, and we've got this buffet that we can go to with, before and, and, and during halftime, and, and, and we get special parking, and these things are just awesome. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Gee, how am I going to pay for this? Well, all three of us, individually of each other, went to my friend after the game, and my conversation went like this. And I said to my friend, I said, here, I, I need to pay you. And I'm doing this very slowly. Here, here, I, I need to pay you. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, please. And he says to me, you don't have to. I go, oh, thank God. <laughs> and I said to him, and it was the truth, I said to him, I don't expect you to pay for this. In my mind, I'm saying, but please, please, please. I didn't expect you to pay for this. And his response was, I know that, because if you would have, I wouldn't have paid for them. So it worked out okay. And Pam didn't kill me when I got home. It was good. See, here's the deal with prayer. This is why prayer works. Jesus says, I, I want you to go ask for the big thing. You look at it and say, I can't do that. I, I, I don't have the resource or the, or the ability to, to accomplish that. And God says, do the big thing. Jesus says, do the big thing. Go to my father, call him Abba, call him daddy, get to him. And then when you need resources and when you need his, his invasion into your life, when you need forgiveness, when you, when you need, when you need Use my card. And by the way, he says, I expect to pay for this. And that is why on the very end of this prayer is this wonderful benediction. For yours is the kingdom. It's all yours. And what I lack, and I lack a lot, yours is the power and, and when that happens, yours is the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. See, the kingdom that is his is believing, not achieving. So when Mary was told by the angel that you are going to carry the Son of God. He is going to be the Savior of the world. Her response was be your response. She said, wait, 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 wait. I haven't done my part. I have been not with a man, so this can't happen. And the response of the angel was, well, wait a minute, this is the kingdom business, and the Holy Spirit will birth the results. 
So Mary's response to that was this, Luke 1.38. Mary responded and said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I want you to repeat that phrase. May everything you have said about me come true. Say it. May everything you have said about me come true. And from that point on, she lived her life with that goal in mind. May everything that you said about me come true. In the scripture, they call that being perfect as he is, as he is perfect. The Greek word is teleos. It means that the, it is the final goal. It is the thing that you're, you're shooting for. It is, it is that thing. And for Mary, it was, may everything you've said about me come true. So she geared her life toward it and began to live in it at that moment. I want to ask you a simple question. And don't give me a general answer in your head which says, well, the answer is to wait for Jesus to return and take me to heaven. Nice answer, but not the one I'm looking for. What about you particularly? What is the truth about you? What has he said to you that is his plan for you? May everything you've said about me come true. What has he said about you specifically? What have you heard him say about you? What have you sensed in here he has said that you're going to do? Did he say, I want you to get your doctorate and I want you to teach? May everything you've said about me come true. Did he say, I want you to work in this business because I'm going to do this through you? May everything about me come true. Did he tell you that he wanted you to train your, your, your artistic abilities and, and enter into a realm that is not so much God, but you go there because everything about you must come true? What is that thing? And are you living in it now? That's what Mary did. See, here's what I know about us. Jeremiah the prophet said it so eloquently. He said, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. The heart in the human condition becomes hardened. That is why this week, as I was in a locker room at a fitness center, a guy said to me, hey, Reverend, what do you say about the deal in Connecticut? I said, it's pure evil. And this I do know. The farther we move from our Creator, the less like Him we become. That's why we have tragedies in a new town grade school or in an Aurora theater or in a Clackamas Town Center mall or a selfish affair, or a road-raged tirade, or a gossip flash mob. But then you have Jesus, whose heart is so tender, who believes that the kingdom has control so that he can let go of his journey and let it enter into God's story. So you see him in a garden outside of Jerusalem called Gethsemane, and his words are, but not my will, let it be yours. Which is the same thing his mother had said 33 years earlier. 33 years and nine months. May everything you have said about me come true.
It is the words we say at the end of the prayer. Amen. So be it. May everything you said about me come true. Not my will. Yours. So, Jesus, in this trusting of God's kingdom under God's control, enters into the kingdom, and he says, whatever you want from me, whatever you said about me, let it come true. And so God takes every hardened heart ever born and ever would be born, and he places it on Jesus. He takes the hardened heart and puts it on the tender heart of Jesus, and Jesus' heart stops. You see, you can't reform a hard heart. You can only kill it. And Jesus does. Because Jesus understands this. And he believes that God's kingdom will always arrive so that what God has said about us will come to pass. Jesus dies and the kingdom arrives. The old heart dies. A new heart is risen three days later. And that's why we pray, our Father, your kingdom come. Kill the hardened heart in me and raise up a new one. Paul the Apostle said, it happens because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old has come. or The old is gone. The new has come. But if you're like me, you go, but wait, wait, wait. I still feel the hardened heart in there. There are those moments that, that, that I have appetites that are not of God. There are, there are those moments when I seem to have lost control. And there's moments that I'm just so disappointed in myself and so discouraged because I go, I'm just not the person. You, you say that's the change in me, but I don't see a change in me. And Jesus responds to us who find ourselves in a place where we say we're lost or our appetites are too great or we're just so depressed and discouraged about our lives. He said, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Jesus said, and Luke recorded it this way, you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry, then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely because joy comes in the morning. This is the shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount. Are you familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? We look at that and we say, ooh, wow, look at that. You love your enemy and, and you can't have bad thoughts and lustful thoughts and you can't hate and you go through all that stuff and, and let your word be true and, and, and take your coat and give them the shirt and, and you go through all of that stuff and you go, ooh, and it's a long list of rules, we think, and if we can do those rules, we get a reward. That's not what he said. When he said blessed, it is the condition of the heart where God is working on the inside and working through us at the same time. So that there is one goal in mind. May everything you have said about me come true. Do you find it interesting that Jesus didn't give any final moral exams to the disciples to be sure that their behavioral changes had taken place before he sent them out to do his thing? Because these are still the guys that later would say, hey, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I want to sit on your right. No, no. And back and forth they go. These are the guys who will betray him. These are the guys who will run away from him. They will abandon him. This is the guy that will deny him. 
So I'm going to tell you that the whole character change had not taken place in them yet. They were still messing up. How many of you probably have messed up in the last four weeks? Last four hours? Yeah. Jesus gave them work to do because he understood that as they do the things moving God's kingdom forward, God will speak through them even as he is working in them. And we have a problem with that. We say, oh, I can't do that. I can't be that way because I just, I feel hypocritical. I don't feel authentic. Hear me clearly. Jesus said, follow me, and in the process, I will make you authentic. I will get you there because mine is the kingdom, and I'll give you the power, and I'll get the glory, God says. So I, I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. I have her permission. I called her this week and said, can I tell you your story? Some of you will know who she is. It's an amazing story, and in it I found myself judging how God could use this person. The background on her life is this, that ever since she was young, there was this, this thing she wanted to do. She wanted to be a nurse and help people. She went to school, got the training, got the job, the absolute job she wanted. It was the perfect job. She felt totally fulfilled. She crossed somebody the wrong way, and the person got angry at her and created a situation at work that got this girl fired. It so ruined her life that she went home and overdosed on prescription medicine. Her landlord found her, passed out, dying. They took her to UPMC down in Pittsburgh. The effects were so devastating to her body that her liver was failing and her, her count was showing that she was dying, so they put her quickly on the transplant list. But the odds are to get a transplant that quick to save her life was not there. Now remember, his is the kingdom. So, a former roommate who didn't even know what had happened or where she was, was working in the hospital, saw her name on a list, talked to the docs and talked to the nurses, realized what the problem was, saw that there was probably no chance there was going to be a transplant, walked in the room, and this person is a follower of Jesus, and she had talked to this friend about Jesus. She walked in and said, here's the deal. You need a new liver. They're not going to get you one in time. You're going to die unless we do this. So she lays her hands on her and prays a healing prayer over her, and suddenly the count straightens up and the liver's healed. So this girl shows up weeks later here at this community of faith asking these questions. Do you know who Jesus is? Because I think he healed me. So we take her in with some folks, and we start walking her through and teaching her what it is to follow Jesus, this one who's the kingdom is and whose power she has felt. And she starts to grow in this relationship and understanding of Jesus. And she doesn't immediately say, oh, I want Jesus. She, she's really weighing this thing out, what she should do. Because it's a faith thing, so you pretty, pretty well need to know what you're putting faith in. And so she finally comes to the place, she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we stand her up here, and she tells her story. Now, not everything is clean and okay because she has an eating disorder that has wrecked her life in the past, and shortly thereafter, will once again re-engage in her body. 
Something happens, it triggers that thing, and she now goes full bore back into anorexia nervosa, and there she goes. We're looking at this going, oh, man, what are you doing? So we're trying to talk to her and encourage her. And she, because of her past, is very controlling of her life. And she's passive aggressive. So you tell her something, she says, fine, but she doesn't do it. She just totally rebels and holds it back and doesn't do it. But during this time, she volunteers and goes to Haiti. And God uses her in her condition to minister to people who are suffering because of the earthquake and taking care of little children. She comes back. She's dealing with this thing. She finally gets so bad that she says to me one day, as we're trying to just even nail her down, what are you doing? And she says to me, I've prayed. God's given me peace. He said I can die this way. So she's going to commit suicide, in a sense, in this manner of starving herself to death because she thinks God said it's okay, and he didn't say that. I'm thinking, oh, what are we going to do? But I forgot, this is the kingdom. We process through that, and somehow she comes out of that because I think her heart is crying out these words, may everything you said about me come true. So we, we get her through that process, and, and, and even during that time, she, she goes and she becomes a big sister, and she starts going, taking this girl around and helping her, and she's helping others while at the same time she's almost dying. I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? How's, that, how's this working? She comes through that, and she starts to get a little healthier, and then she, she connects with a guy, and the, and the guy is it's not a match. It's not a good thing, and we're warning her, but she is so controlling and stubborn, she won't do anything. Now you say, you're, you're saying this out loud? Yeah, I told her what I was going to say, and she said, go ahead, tell him. So she follows this guy down to Pittsburgh to get a job while he gets a job and stay together, and sure enough, she gets down there, she can't find a job, and the relationship breaks apart. And I'm thinking, God, what are you going to do with this girl? But somewhere in there, she's still crying out, may everything you said about me come true. Even though her heart has been hardened in places, she's still saying it. She connects with a community of faith, a really solid, healthy community of faith down in the Pittsburgh area. And she calls and says, hey, they've got this, this ministry school I think I should go to that. I'm going, oh, sure. Like they're going to take you. See how little my faith is? She applies, and then they send me, they send me her reference form, and i got to put down some of the things I'm telling you. They invite her in. And the most wonderful transformation is taking place. About four weeks ago, she sent me a Facebook message, and she said, hey, I baptized my first person. She was here last Sunday. You can just see the health in her body. And you can see the true glory of God beaming out of her. And I say, oh God, (laughs) yours is the kingdom. Somewhere inside of her, through all the hardness of her heart, she keeps crying out, may May it happen in me the way you've said. May all the things you've said about me come true. See, I understand that God does not excuse the hardness of our heart, but I'm going to tell you he gives us a space to deal with it. He gives us a sacredness so that we can pray, oh, 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. So what, we have the space to, to move into prayer. I'm going to tell you that the way that she changes and the way that we change is we must press in to prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. More than 30 seconds before a meal, we must get with him so that he can tell us what he's designed for us to be. And then we can say, may I be all that you said that I'm going to be. May that come to pass. Everything you've said about me may come true. You know, the, the, the severe temptations that you feel right now, that you're enduring, uh, enduring right now, I'm going to tell you, those are attempts to strip away from you your vocation and your identity within God's kingdom. Jesus understood that. Listen to what happened to him. The author of the Hebrews writes these words, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. For in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. I know this is the description of Jesus in the garden praying and crying out, but this is Jesus' life. Because every time the, the, the negativity, the words, the evil, the temptations came to him to stop him in his tracks, he continued to say, and, and it's symbolized in the garden when he said, not my will but yours, he is simply just saying, everything you have said about me must come true. That is called obedience. Obedience simply is this, when I'm struck with something and I don't know what to do, I must say everything you said about me must come true, so I must follow through with this step. The more Jesus suffered dealing with that, the more he learned what obedience meant, and the more he kept saying to his Father, everything you said about me must come true. So look, if, if Jesus, who did not have a hard heart, but has to deal with these issues till that he suffered, how much more us who have had hard hearts being transformed into, into gentle hearts and loving hearts, how much more will we suffer in that process of having to be obedient? It's just going to happen. But we must always press into prayer in those moments and say, but yours is the kingdom. Come, your kingdom. Be done your will. I need your power. May everything you said about me come true, everything for each of us in this place. If I wish I could look at each of you in the eyes right now to tell you that there is something that Jesus has said about you that's true. Are you living it out? And the only way we're going to do that is through prayer. So that he can develop within us this new heart. Because his is the kingdom, and when we go into prayer, his is the power. See, power is not straining, it's surrendering. Oh, I'm trying so hard. No, no, no. It's getting into this prayer and saying, okay, I'm going to surrender to you, and now I need your power. Recently, a friend came to me, and he said at 1030 at night, suddenly he felt like God said, pray for Jack. And so he began to pray, and he said, I think I have two words from God for you or two thoughts that, that you need to know that I prayed about that I think are from God that he wants you to know that I prayed about. He said, first of all, God's telling you that you are worrying. And he was right. I was dealing with some issues that had me concerned. And I know the scripture says, be anxious for nothing, but I ignored that. And so I was worrying about these things, and they, had, they were directing my attention, and I wasn't doing quite well. So in my prayer time, I was saying, God, what am I going to do? God, you got to hear me. God, I need your power. I need to deal with this. This needs to be taken care of because it's so distracting, and it's just, it's, it's just nipping at me, and it's just draining me. God, you got to do something. And so he's praying for me. God has him pray for me. And he said, God, I want you to know you should quit worrying because you're safe. 
And it's like suddenly I went, oh, it's his power, not mine. Within an hour and a half, the issue resolved. Because this is the kingdom. He said, the second thing is this. You that are part of this church family know that my father's dealing with severe dementia. And last time I saw him, he, we would start to have discussion, and in about 30 seconds, he would zone out. And I didn't know what was happening to him, and I keep thinking back of the way the man of God he was. The, the insight and the, the depth and the prayer pattern that he established. He was always saying, Jack, have you waited on God? Have you just, have you just been in his presence so you don't worry? Obviously not. And so that his, his life was a pattern for me of a continuous praying. And I look at him now and I say, oh, God, what are you doing? Just take him home because, look, there's, there's what's going on with him now. He just, he, he can hardly stand up at times. He's forgetting how to chew and swallow. And it's just, it's a horrible thing. Why don't you do something? And so my friend said to me, God wants you to know that your father and Jesus are still having very intimate times, even though you can't see it on the outside. See, his is the kingdom and his is the power. And when we rest in that, when we relinquish that, when we take the time to pray, because I'm going to tell you, my dad used to say to me, if you're uptight, if you're not at peace, go sit in his presence till you feel his peace because that's the only place you're going to find it. When we do that and we see his kingdom and his power, then we see his glory. Because then we say, he's everywhere, look at him. He's here. In April of 1737, George Frederick Handel suffered what he thought was a stroke. It, it, it caused paralysis in his right arm so that he could neither conduct or compose. In addition to the physical problems that he faced, He'd been in and out of favor with the monarchy so much that he was in and out of money a lot. And he was a horrible, horrible business person. He, he had lost a fortune in the opera business, so he's, he's just dirt poor, and now he, he has physical restrictions, and this great depression comes upon him. He cloisters himself, he, he cocoons himself in Brook Street in London and just stays there just melting into his own kingdom because he doesn't believe and he doesn't pray out, may everything you said about me come true. He has a friend, a theologian named Charles Jennings, who is, who is on the warpath against deism, which simply in that day meant the notion that God had simply created the earth, stepped back and let somebody else have control and that God did not have control. So Charles Jennings goes through the scripture and begins to find the places where it says he's got control, he's got control, he's got, he's got, he's got, he's got. And he puts those together in this, in this libretto and somehow he gets it to this stashed away, this hidden handle. Handle gets the material and, and suddenly he just disappears. He doesn't even come out of his place for, for 24 days. His servant thinks that the depression has got the best of him. He'll bring him food and, and he hardly will touch the food. He just, he leaves it by the door, he takes it and brings it back out. There's, he's not eating, he's not leaving. For 24 days, he is just focused in there, and he thinks the depression is just ruining his life. And so finally, he charges in the room, breaks in, and to his amazement, he sees George Frederick Handel, tears streaming down his face, turning to his servant, crying out, I did think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself. 
his heart caught up with the news that he shall reign forever and ever. What about you? Will you take the issues of life that you had out of control right now, and will you believe that his is the kingdom, and his is the power, and his is the glory forever and ever? Will you declare today that may everything you said about me come true? Will you join with Handel in the centuries of those who have listened to this? And will you declare this morning the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, right in here and all over? Hallelujah. Would you this morning do that with me? Would you stand? And would you join with me, pick out a part, make up a part, whatever you want to do? But would you make this your declaration of may everything you've said about me come true because... Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the kingdoms of this world, my kingdom, are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign here and around this world forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's sing it together.
for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And you say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a very Merry Christmas.